pues is a yesoid that is nogea to bochrim and to former bochrim and remembering it uh, is necessary till around age 1995 at that point uh, once you have it straight Yitzhahara hopefully by that time gives up but until then you have to remember that the Chavaz uh, Chaim was always um, saying over as it's uh, brought down the Chavaz Chaim of Chumash but uh, Yisrael was said over quite often that if you look at the Mohamo of the Yitzhahara against Abmavinu and Yitzhakavinu there was a battle Kenti Yaakavinu was all out Every and Messiah never stopped. Yaakovino's whole life, and he even commented to it Paro that uh, it's been rough. Rav Chaim said that Abmavino represented Chesed and Yitzchak Avoda, and if a Yid does Chesed, Yitzchak gets very annoyed. But uh, if you have to choose your uh, battles, lose a battle, win a war, so Chesed, Umasaylam also do Chesed, not. Uh, the same parsha as Abmavinu. But Lamaisa, they can also do chesed, they can do stalka. Avoida, Daim have prayer, not to take away. Chasasham, Yitzhak Avinu's Avoida, it's a whole different madrega, but, but it exists, the concept exists. Limna Teira doesn't exist, certainly not Limna Teira Lishma. The concept is completely foreign to Goyim. And the Yitzhahara knows. Knew and still knows that Talmud Torah is connected to Kulam and the Klai Yisrael Lamaisa at the end of the day. The Chafetz Chaim's uh, marshals. If a Yid has a choice and the Yitzhahara would have to now decide between a Yid saying Tehillim all day or opening up a Ketzais, he's going to push him to say Tehillim. Saying Tehillim is a Eil Gazach and it's a time for it. There's a time for Chesed and a time for Tzedakah. Bachar have to know. And Balabatim also have to know, but the Bacham have to learn it to become that level of uh, of a person who whatever he's doing in life is his main day revolves around his learning. Is that as soon as you want to learn, there's gonna be fifteen eights for somebody who's from, fifteen from sounding eights of why you shouldn't be learning now because you have to do this chesed, you have to do that mitzvah, and you have to help out that person. And there's no limit to the excuses that pop into your head and all the things that you remember you have to do as you're sitting down to learn. I don't know if that would be no get to the Bochum over here, but, uh, but you've imagined certainly in a Ben Azmanim that uh, such a thing could, could stare. Bali Musser point out, we'll start with Megillus Rus. It's clear from the Psukim that Rus and Arpa were pushing just as hard to come back with Nami Deir Tisro. They asked and they asked again, they asked a third time, and Nami's trying to talk them out of it. Somebody comes for a Geiris, you have to try to dissuade them. At the very last moment, Arpa said, Okay, you really want me to leave? I'm going home. Rus Dafkaba, that chilik between the Devekas of Rus. And the decision of Arpa to leave was the last 10 seconds of the conversation. 
which is a pachat. That means you could be pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, and the real Nisayan is the last minute to the last two minutes of a decision or of Seder. And the main schar is when you hold on, you think you can't learn anymore, you think you can't do it anymore, and you push an extra few minutes. Chaim Shalevitz and Sichas Musser, I would say one of the more famous ones, but they're all famous says that the Atzas HaYetzer is when you don't pass that Nisayan is what happens in the next hour, what happens the next morning. And we know from Chazal that Arpa went back. She was so from, she almost went with Nami. With all the mysterious Nefesh that entails, we know what mysterious Nefesh was, we see what Rus did. She was ready to do all that till the last moment. So what should happen with somebody who goes back home? So, okay, so as time goes on, she didn't become the great-grandmother of Melech, she didn't become Emma Malchus, she remained a nice, firm lady back home. What did Chazal say? The night she went home, she was over and every Avera Chamer in the book. So Chaim Shalevitz wants to know, what, why, how? You're holding on such a madrega that there was, there was come out no chili between you and Rus. How does it all happen in one night? The answer is, but shouldn't. But the Yitzhahara convinces us that once you made a mistake, and once you had a small mapola, that you're a nobody, you're a gornish, you're a nice fluff, you're this, you're that, all the names they can call you, and therefore don't bother doing anything, you might as well just um, have a good time. That's what happened that night. And I um, have seen, I deal, deal a fair amount with Bachar, and uh, you're a band, deal with this day in and day out. It could be a matzav where a bachar is learning well and one thing goes wrong and the bachar is from, from young man so he, he takes it very hard and he thinks that the high road in Frumkite is to get so upset about it and beat yourself up and get down and after that you're going to go to second seder. After that you're going to go to night seder. And it sounds very from and really it's complete not to say it. So the first thing you do is you pick yourself up you brush yourself off and you go straight to seder. Make a little note of it, and like three days later, start dealing with it. No matter what it is. Because if it ends up causing Bithel Terra and causes Hisrashlus, then you know it's coming from the Yetzirah. It has nothing to do with Darkei Atshuva. And part of Kabbalah Satera <coughs> is understanding who the enemy is and how he works, what the tactics are. I've, I've seen... Again, I hope you haven't seen it here, but uh, I've seen Bochum lose a day, a week, a month, as man, a lifetime, over a couple of bad days. Never forget, I, uh, I was uh, newly married, living in Eitzisrael. I was living in Harnof a couple of years ago. And um, I met an Israeli young man. He was uh, three, four years old when me. He was already learning a kettle there um, for those years, four years, five years. He told me, I remember we were standing on the way home from Shul, he said, uh, forget how we got onto it, but it was a very personal glimpse. He said, I just want you to know, I learned in such and such yeshiva, a well-known flagship yeshiva in Eitz Yisrael. And Azman or two before I became a chassan, I had a horrible Zman. Day after day, week after week, and nothing was going. And I came to the, in hindsight, incorrect conclusion that this learning is not for me and I'm not going to make it and I was seriously contemplating leaving yeshiva and he said uh, it, was, it was amazing to hear this because I, he was a neighbor of mine I knew him he was considered the Arisha V'chabur and he said I had uh, one of the 
Mashkichim in the yeshiva saw what was going on and figured out what was going on and spent hours and hours and hours with me. And now looking back, I now see his whole yesoid in the patch-up work was that you don't look at a day, you don't look at a week, every minute is valuable. You look at what the real potential is and the Sahara doesn't want you to do that much tshuva in this tkufa in your learning, he just wants you to beat yourself up. And ultimately it worked, I stayed in yeshiva and the zman after that was much better and then I became a chosan and now I'm learning a kill a number of years. His whole life hangs hung from the same thread that uh, Rus lashed onto and Arpa didn't. It's a very important yesayit. You say, why well, speak about this? You're all learning well. It's the middle of the month before Shavuos. Shavuos is full of uh, tremendous schoolers for Kabbalahs you're going to make. And the first Kabbalah you have to know is not only to increase the Asmada and increase the Amelis and increase the Amkus, so also to increase the understanding of who you are and what went wrong in the previous month, the month before that, and why perhaps the reaction was giving in too much into the Yish without picking yourself up and going forward and then dealing with it later. Read to you Eloshan three lines from Mechaim Eloshaner. You wouldn't expect this to be the Eloshaner Yeshiva. Probably had Bochum there who were born Malochim. As they all became the Gedele Adar, so you kind of wonder why is Rechaim Velozhin even writing this? So he's writing it for us a couple hundred years later, but apparently it existed then also. Ha'adam hu'tam and You have to know the ups and downs. And the trick in life is not how to capitalize on the situation when you're going up necessarily, although that's an art also. It's how to deal with what to do when you're going down. Be'es, his whole shtickle is just on this, the Yerida. When he feels he's on the way down, he starts getting the impression or misimpression that, that my davening is not a davening, you call that learning, nothing's working anyway. Why bother? In the eighth, he thinks, you know what, I'm going to go to sleep for a long time. And then when I wake up, things will be different, I'll be invigorated, and, uh, you know. Every bucher has probably tried this once in his life. I don't mean going to sleep in a shop this afternoon for like a long nap for like an hour and a half. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like uh, sleeping every day continuously and Mashiach comes and you sort of um, don't listen knowing sooner or later they're just going to leave you alone and uh, you wake up. You don't plan on uh, copping out completely. You're just uh, the next couple of weeks uh, and you declare Ben Azman in the middle of Azman hoping to come back later. So Chaim Lesnar figured this out. Figured out the Yitzhahara was good at convincing people of this. And of course, it's the Ramanas Livnas. I've heard that expression more than any other expression from Bokram. Like the, any other Chazal is not as famous. They always tell me, Rebbe, the Ramanas Livnas. He explains to me why, why he wants to go to Montana for three weeks. The Ramanas Livnas. So, Chaim Lajna said, that sounds like an interesting plan. And people go through this from time to time. But when people who want to become B'nai Aliyah. Then Chaim says, It's not a correct yesoid. To have an uptick in the symbol 
as the, uh, the graph is showing in the computer, to be able to get moving in a positive direction doesn't require three weeks of sleep to be able to wake up and get going. He says, this sounds like a chiddish, instead of going to sleep, if you continue davening even though you're not happy with the davening, continue learning even though you're not happy with the learning, it's better, because the more you sleep through it, the more distant you'll be, and it's extremely difficult to come back. It's never impossible, but extremely difficult. See, here we have um, weapon number one against the Yitzhahara. If he convinces you you're not cut out for it, or he convinces you maybe you are, but let's talk about it next month after a long vacation. So you know that's Atzah What's going to be? You're learning, and it's Shvach. Answer is, some learning is better than no learning. And Ashmona Esrei, Bitsibur, even half-hearted, is better than davening quickly in the dorm. Step number two. You'll say, well, um, why is this part of the, um, the human condition, this Eile V'yerid, this Yale V'yavah? So some of Hashem say a very interesting, uh, you might have thought of this Kasha. Let me read to you a few psukim which you're familiar with, and I'll throw out the question <coughs> to the Elam. Yisra decides that he's going back home. Did he go home before Kabbalah Satir, after Kabbalah Satir? Why somebody would want to go home before Kabbalah Satir? When did he come originally? Did he come after? Did he come before? He's going, whatever it is. Shem is giving to us Go with us and the Hatava we get, you're going to get. So come with us. We're going to have all sorts of brachas and nisim and siyat deshmaya. Why do you want to go home? I'm going home. He wants to go home to Makai with the rest of the family. But Lamaisa is going to miss, can't say miss all the action, he's going to miss all the Hatava. Why would he want to leave? Moshe Rabbeinu didn't really understand. Moshe Rabbeinu tries again. You see what's going on here. You've been a help. We want to help you. You have good input. And Moshe Rabbeinu repeats again, this hatava that we're going to have, you're going to benefit. And Yisra again said, no, I'm going home. Oh, we'll meet you there later. Which, by the way, he did. Not personally, but we know the Bnei Bonham of Yisra were, became the Chashuvei Am, became Dayanim, became Tamidim of Asnil ben Kanaz. <coughs> What's the Pashup shot over here? Yisra says he wants to leave. Moshe Rabbeinu says he's going to miss out. And he had a good time. He said, why am I going to miss out? Either I'm going to come if I'm too old, I'm going to send my children, and we're going to become part of clay. So don't worry, we're not leaving. I just have some cure work to do. So why, uh, why was he wrong? We're not sure he was wrong, but it sounds like Moshe Rabbeinu held one way. Well, Chayri was wrong. What was Moshe Rabbeinu saying that he was going to miss? The answer is that they're still going to be in the Midbar for a while. And in the Midbar was a difficult existence. They had Mon, which came down in the Shemayim, but it was a test every day. You'd be talking to Amun, it was a report card every morning. If the Mon fell over here, you were doing like this. If it fell over there, the means you talked to Shemayim yesterday, it was embarrassing, it was uncomfortable. And you couldn't fool anybody. It's like Karsh Baruch who just passed me there every single morning. And you had to assume the moment was coming down. It was an exercise in Avedah and Mitachan Amunah. And you had to learn all day and all night. And there was no Ben Azmanim. 
was challenging. And as we know from Chumash, there were Aliyas and Yeridus of Klai Yisrael's Madrega in the Midbar, and they were Manasseh Kosh Baruch ten times. So that just begs the same question. So why is Moshe Rabbeinu saying, come along for the ride? It would be a lot easier just come to Yisrael when we're all settled and uh, build a base of Medish and Kamarnu. The answer is, Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to tell Yisrael, if you want to grow as a Benteri, you want to grow as a Yid, the point is not to get from here to there. The point is the trip, the Mahalach, the Amelis and the Mahalach, the up and the down, the problem and the recovery. If you don't go through this Mahalach, you're not going to grow. That's a very big, I've been asked by many Bacharim, this is, why does this have to be so hard? Why does it have to be so challenging? Because Bachar wanted me to be a Masmid, I'd be a Masmid. It's a good line, no? Makes sense. Hashem wanted me to be a Masmid. Obviously, I'm not a Masmid if it's too difficult. So, what's the answer? The answer is the message Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to convey to Yisrael, and that is, you're not born anything. You have Natiyas, you have a predilection towards something or another. That's what Mazel's all about. It doesn't mean luck, it means the Natiyah, certain tools and talents you have. And there's a concept of Chanach, you have to mix that into the potion over here. But whatever you end up doing in life, most people aren't natural born Masmidim that when faced with going on vacation, or even faced with wanting to do a mitzvah, that is Efshar Allah Sasaideh Acherim. There are many wonderful things you could do. You have to examine each time you have an opportunity. Is the other person who might be going learning anyway, will he be learning at that time? If he won't, let him go and I'll stay here. Everything you do in life, every decision you make, where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, has to be seen through that prism. What can I do now? And will it get done without me? That's a tremendous new science. And it's not easy. And the fact that you weren't born with that natiya doesn't mean it's not for you. Continuing with the aside. Volna Glenn, by the way, when he describes the um, describes seven dinim when a person leaves this world. That happens right after Petira, Zuachazu. And the Volna Glenn says that one of the most frightening aspects of the din is that in Shemayim, one of the first things they show you that Neshama just left the body. So Neshama all of a sudden can see everything that's going on all around the world. It's bombarded with all sorts of information, which is why the Neshama focuses on the body because it can't really process everything. The Neshama is an open transmitter. Shem puts it in the body and then there's sort of like a blocking device. So you can only see out of your eyes and hear out of your ears. And the Shama freelance out of the body can pick up everything around. So then the Shama is bombarded with all sorts of information all over the universe and sees the emits very clearly. It's very frightened. So it focuses on the body. Before the Batira, during, uh, hopefully nobody here will find out about any of this anytime soon. But the Vonagon describes it's a pretty terrifying experience. And the Vonagon says that the most terrifying aspect is when the Shama realizes that it had Kaychas to accomplish this and it only got to here. That's the worst part of the Ganem. When you see that you fooled yourself into convincing yourself that I'm not such a Masmid, I'm not such a Lamdan, I'm not such a nice guy, and I didn't work on this, and I didn't work on that, because that's my Teva, what am I going to do? And the first part of the Din is to show you that you were able to go much further than you felt you could or convince yourself you couldn't. That's very frightening. And to prove this point, Again, we don't want to find out uh, the hard way. 
I want to share with you a pick of the Rabbeleza, which again needs, uh, needs Hezber. I'll read to you the Lushen. And you'll understand why this is uh, so no gay to everybody. The uh, pick of the Rabbeleza tells over the famous mice that we know from the Gemara, but with a slightly different Kanej. With Beishlokesh and Rabbi Yechanan. Beishlokesh, the Machlech Zeshainim, was he from and he went off and he came back on? Or was he not from and it became a Baal Tshuva? It's not that relevant over here. We know Beishlokesh from the Gemara met Rabbi Yechanan. Rabbi Yechanan offered him his sister to marry. He came to the yeshiva to learn. He offered him to learn with him. Married his sister. He learned with him, became his Talmud Chavar and became one of the Heligah Marun. The pick of the Rabbi Lezer Listen to this Lushan very carefully. Gives you, like any medrash, another uh, view of what was going on. It's not a stira, but there's some very important additional information. That a very lucrative business going on. Him and two friends lived in the mountains, and they were very strong. Tushitas again, Rishainim, whether Rishlokish was a gladiator in a circus, which required tremendous physical strength, or he was a gangster. It could be he was both at different goofers. This describes his uh, gangster activity. Set a band of three people, he was one of them, and they had a plan. Every night they went down to the crossroads, they came down from the mountain, Ma'asa, Baharim. And one day, after making a lot of money, he decided, you know, you have a lot of downtime in this job because you can only go banish moshes. At night, nobody traveled, and by day, it was hard to rob people. So around banish moshes, they'd come down to the crossroads and hold people up and take their money. Doesn't say Rishlokish ever killed anybody. Probably scary-looking enough that they handed over their money. So every night, they brought the loot back to the mountains, and they're sitting there with a million dollars, ten million dollars, a hundred million dollars, a billion dollars, after a while, you might disagree with this, there's just so much money, you start thinking about life. So, I can picture, doesn't describe it like this, but Lokish is sitting awake one night in the cave, staring at the ceiling, and he realizes, you know, this is not a very nice thing for a good Jewish boy. And uh, there must be more to life than this. So Medrash says, Ma'asa aniyach l'shnei re'ev shaydidim baharim. He tiptoed out in the middle of the night, left his two friends, Veshav le'eloke aviv v'cholibo b'tzayim b'tzvilo. So it's unclear where this fits in with the Maish of the Gemara. When he met Rabbi Yochanan, was that after he was thinking about it, then Hashem caused him to meet Rabbi Yochanan, and he came back to the yeshiva, because Kosh Baruch Hu saw his Malshavah, that he wanted to come back. Whatever the chronological order was, but he left. As a side note, before we continue with the Pekadu Abelezer, it's pretty clear that he never went back to his friends. Which is interesting. If you become Baal Tshuva and then you go to Yeshiva and you're learning with Rosh Yeshiva and you become an Amera. So where's the, where's the chesed? What, what happened to you? Two, two good pals from the, from the gang in the cave? Sounds like, um, sounds like he never went back. I can't prove to you he became an Amera. He never tried. Certainly sounds like he went to, went to Rabbi Yechon and never turned back for a long, long time. Uh, the side, important you side over there is that uh, Kirov is a wonderful tool and an absolute chiyuv. Not when you're a Masifta. It's an important... Uh, you, the the Bacher trying to do Kirov with the Bacher who's at risk is uh, more at risk to follow him than the other Bacher following him in the other direction. 
Why that's so is a longer schmooze. Just I've um, I've had many situations where I try to separate two friends, and the answer I always get the firm answers. They don't tell me the other answers. So they tell me he's Rebbe. He's a Nebuch. Look at him. He's mamish going off, and I just somebody's got to take it to the movie theater. Who knows who he's going to meet? So um, the answer is. Uh, You'll, you'll mention that to the rabbeim. Let them take care of it. If you don't want to snitch on him, so don't mention it to the rabbeim. I don't know if I was just to say that. Uh, but don't do kiruv when you're not well on your way. Reish Lakish was smart enough. I don't know how old he was, but he was smart enough to know that uh, making another couple of billion dollars is alluring. And if he goes back to his friends, he might stay there. And if he slipped out, he better say. Just parenthetical comment, which is um, I've seen a lot of people go off the derech doing kiruv. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do when you're ready for it. And Mitzvah Shem, uh, those of you who go into Kli Kedish, that'll be one of the Mitzvahs, you know, do a lot for Klai Yisrael. Just know when you're ready to do it, uh, 16, 17, 18 years old is not exactly the best time. With that side comment, which might be uh, fuel for another schmooze, so I'll let the, uh, let the Shiva take care of it afterwards. <laughs> so he leaves, and he returns to Klai Baruch Hu B'Tzayim Spent the rest of his life learning, and Chesed, never went back to his evil ways. So far, so good. Then the Medrash here mentions one more thing, and you have to ask the obvious question: Why is this information necessary? Interesting historical footnote. Sadly, is what it has to do with the rest of the Pikkur of Lezer. Fast forward 50, 60, 70, 80 years. 80 years later, whatever it was, the day he died, by coincidence, or not by coincidence, the same exact day he died, his two friends, who again, it sounds like he didn't have much to do with them for the last 80 years, they also died, and they died in the mountain multi-billionaires, trillionaires by this time, and they died the same exact day, both of them. And the Medrash here, Pekad Ablazah, contrasts the directions of the Neshamas. Here's Neshama went up to Elam Abba. And the other two went Nebuch in the opposite direction. So uh, let me throw out the question, why does the Medrash... <coughs> take out the time and the space, there's no extra word, to tell us, by the way, interestingly enough, they're the same yard site. So we put out Ayakichel for Ishlokish, we have them in mind. They need a bigger pigeon for the Neshama. What exactly is the message here? Some of Farsham suggest as follows, and this uh, suggestion, I think, fits very well into this Pekat Abeleza, makes a lot of people uncomfortable. When a Chazal show you any dates or any particular timelines, they're trying to tell you something that transcends the historical footnote. They're not here for history. As the Navi's not here for history. Sometimes they'll tell you, sometimes they won't. If they tell you, there's something behind it. The fact that it tells us that there were three close friends who got along very well and had a very good shutfus and a lucrative business going. They were probably in yeshiva together and they grew up and all three went off or one went off and dragged the other two, whatever the case may be. And then it tells you the two bookends. They grew up together and had a lot of good time together. And then 80 years later, they both died on the exact same day. All three died on the exact same day. So what does that tell you? When somebody in the Azhazal, somebody described as having a, a, a similar lifeline, it means 
that not only had the exact amount of years and days allotted to them, it shows you that we have three people who are very similar, that similar kaiches, similar talents, the same amount of time on earth to accomplish A, B, C. And look at the contrast. Meshlokish ultimately used all his kaiches and became Meshlokish, and the other ones ignored their kaiches and remained gangsters. We like to think, when you look back to yeshiva, some of you can look back to Cheder, some of you can look back to younger years in high school. When you get older, you'll see, you'll look back to Bes Medrash and to your friends from 50-year Bes Medrash and 60-year Bes Medrash and Kailo. And some people find themselves in their 30s and 40s and 50s looking at their friends, and you actually bump into these people later on in life. I think when you leave yeshiva, you never see them again. It's, a, at the end of the day, a pretty small community. And you'll bump into one of your chaverim, and you'll see he's a, a big Rosh Hashiva, he's a Rav, he's being a kair of many people, he's doing things with his life, or he's working hard for a living and using every minute he has to learn. I had to get such nachas. I had a shul. These are the shailas that B'nai Terry are asking today. A guy came over to me in the shul last week, and he said there's a major family event, and they're all going out to eat, and his uh, brothers and sisters and wife and in-laws and parents. And he says, for some strange reason, they call dinner at night seder, which is when dinner always is. And he came to me. He never misses a shear. If, if he misses a shear, I call him afterwards to find out how he's feeling. The man who works uh, 10 hours a day. He came to me, he said, uh, what do I do? My wife is a little upset. Uh, I told her I'm not coming. Can you imagine? But you, know, you know what a masmid you have to be in Masifta and best measures to come to a madriga like this? He says, this is my two hours to learn a night. Mind you, he learns in the morning, he learns on the bus on the way into the city, he learns on the bus on the way back, learns at lunch, and works 10 hours in between. He told me, he said, my wife is, uh, is a little upset. I'm not coming. So I asked him, what time is the suda called for? He said, 8 o'clock. That's the night that it starts. He comes at 7.30. And night said is over at 10. So I told him, I said, call up your wife and tell her to order a dessert for you. You'll be there for desserts. He looks at me, dessert? It's 10.15. He says, they're going to be long gone. I said, they will not be long gone. You just tell her to order dessert. And he said, okay. He stayed for his chavusa, stayed for